0: Hey y'all, you might notice from the title of this episode that it's not necessarily a new episode uh, in the sense that I'm not talking about Jujutsu Kaisen. Uh, This was supposed to be like the kind of the grand finale for the little five-part series I was going to do over Jujutsu Kaisen for the first couple episodes talking about it. But uh, after some few personal events that happened this week that kind of set things back, you know, put me kind of in a rut, but it's okay um i decided i'm not going to do that uh, instead i'm going to push it back a little bit give myself some more time to work out the kinks in my script and uh align with my guest who's going to be with me next week also just take a second to relax uh, so this episode is actually just going to be more of a cooling out with the old head as i actually talk about some like relatively old head things at least i think they're pretty old head anyway um i hope you enjoy this episode Masashi Kishimoto, a name I'm sure we're all familiar with in the world of manga and anime, cemented himself in pop culture in the last 25 years by giving us one of the most influential series of all time, Naruto. It's safe to say that even with his other si- series not doing as great, he'll still be known as a legend. But what if, I t- tell- what if I was to tell you there was another Kishimoto, one with several more worthwhile series under his belt? Today, on a special Kulana cool episode of the Old Head Otaku talk about Seishi Kishimoto, the other Kishimoto. Welcome to the old head otaku. My name is Kwame B. They put you on game. So, hey y'all. I said at the beginning of the intro of this episode yeah i I had some stuff happen this week it's pretty heavy not gonna go into into it on here but i still wanted to do something i still wanted to put something out so i decided after going down like a naruto hole the other day like posting stuff on my tiktok about his original inception of that series and i by him i mean Masashi kishimoto's original inception of that uh, series i started thinking more about his brother seishi who is an artist in mangaka just like his brother uh and when i say brother i mean like twin brothers they are very much twin brothers born at the exact same time though kishimoto is uh or say she's a bit younger than his uh, a bit more famous older brother masashi anyway i decided i was going to talk about him because i found i find that through his career in manga he has actually had quite a few series and it's wild because i feel like no one ever talks about him And I feel like that's because uh, he just, you know, obviously falls into his uh, brother's shadow. But to get started, Seishi Kishimoto was born in the Akiyama Prefecture uh, of Japan on November 8th, 1974, as the younger identical brother of Masashi Kishimoto. In elementary school, uh, Kishimoto started watching anime adaptations of Kiku- Kina- Man, which is a wrestling anime if you've never heard of it. If you have, you've probably heard of it under its other name, Ultimate Muscle, alongside his brother. Uh, and the two of them began to design their own superheroes. Which, by the way, I should clarify, this isn't a script I wrote. A lot of this is just notes I pulled off of anime animanga wiki. Check that place out if you uh, ever want to look up some, some obscure manga stuff. That's the website I got this stuff off of. Um... But yes, Kishimoto's first series is a one-shot called Trigger, published in Square Enix Gangan, powered in 2001, uh, with a story he wanted to write a, about faith and parent-child relationship, but had trouble fitting it within the page limit. He then began his first serialized work, 666 Satan, or O-Part Hunters in America, because, you know, America and Satan can't just put a story out with the title called 666 Satan. But that's what I knew it as when I started reading it. Uh, That started running monthly in Shonen Gangan in 2001. The manga manga continued for six years and has been translated and released in several foreign countries, including here in the United States, by Viz Media. A year after 666 Satan ended, Seishi uh, launched Blazer Drive uh, in in the debut magazine of Kodensha's monthly Shonen Rival, preceded by the prequel one-shot Trivial Trivial. Uh, in in the final issue of Comic Bomb Bomb. Blazer Drive ran from 2010 and received a video game tie-in for the Nintendo DS. Uh, and in 2014, Hishimoto began his work on Psycho 9, or Avenging 9, a series serialized and printed digitally in monthly Shonen Gangan and Gangan Online. Printed versions featured two chapter stories of Kota Kayadara, Psycho 9, while uh, the digital version featured a two-chapter story by Ryoko Koizumi, Sokudochi uh, 9, or oh, Tsukidoshi 8. I guess there was Tsukidoshi 8 before that. Um, didn't get to read that. I read Tsukidoshi 9, now, which I'm going to talk about these series a little bit individually here in a second. Ooh, I had something in my teeth. Might have to edit that out. Whatever. We'll see. I'm probably not going to. This is a cool-out episode. We're having fun. Uh, but, yes. So, Seishi Kishimoto has had quite a career. I've only read I've read Sokidochi 9... Blazer Drive to its completion, and Opart Hunters, a.k.a. 666 Satan, was the one I read back in high school. So we're going to talk about those. We're going to talk about 666 Satan, 666 Satan first. Uh, and like I said, uh, its name in the States was Opart Hunter. Uh, O-Part is something I've recently come to discover has been used in various other terms of media. It usually ref- uh, refers to like just ancient technology being more futuristic than modern technology. I'm reading another series currently called Spriggan, which I'm planning to do an episode on in the f- near future that features o parts but i'm i'm way off track let's get back to this series 666 satan uh Uh, it ran like i said in the square enix's monthly shonen gangan imprint it was created by seishi kishimoto uh it features a lot of Kabbalistic traditions and judo-christian demonology for its plot uh and far less japanese folklore And it was licensed here in the United States under Viz Media and again was released under the name Opar Hunters. The fascinating thing about 666 Satan and probably another reason why Seishi catches a lot of flack, or at least not much flack or notoriety to begin with, is the fact that Opar Hunters on paper is basically Naruto. And that obviously did not go unnoticed by the manga reading masses. Because for a while, people were like, oh, you're just copying your twin brother. Oh, this is just Naruto with Christian iconography. You're just stealing from your brother. It got so bad that Musashi Kishimoto himself had to come out and be like, guys, he's literally my twin brother. Whatever he likes, I like. Whatever I like, he likes. So our stories might seem kind of similar, but he's not copying me. He just has the same kind of thought process as me because he's literally my twin but I digress. I remember reading it, and I, because I was reading Naruto at the time, I found it far more fascinating. Just because it did use like Judeo-Christian iconography, the main character was seemed a bit younger than uh, Naruto, and a bit more put together, I think. But I digress. Let's talk about the actual plot. Um, so the beginning of the story is uh, Ruby Crescent is an ordinary girl. Her life has changed dramatically when her father dies, and she becomes a treasure hunter as he was. The objective is to find oparts, magical items hidden in ruins which grant people superhuman powers and can only be used by OPT, Opart tacticians, angels or demons. She soon meets a mysterious boy named Geo, who, due to his dark and lonely past, seeks to conquer the world. Geo is hostile to her at first. But by the end of the by the end ends up traveling with Ruby as her bodyguard. When Ruby is attacked by the OPT, claiming to be Satan, Gio rushes to her rescue and a battle occurs. Initially, they are on the losing side, but Geo releases his true power and is revealed to be not only an OPT, but the real Satan. Thus the two continue their travels together in hopes of unlocking their past. And so yeah, that's where the series it starts. Um, it's almost the beginning of Dragon Ball Z, or Dragon Ball, I should say. And that's another thing about this series is that it caught a lot of flack for being a Naruto ripoff. But that intro, and even the interactions that Geo has with Ruby, is very reminiscent of like the first chapter of Dragon Ball. Um, and even Ruby's character design, she's a young spunky girl who's the son of a, or who's the daughter of a scientist. Whose hair is like a light pink, or not like pink, uh, like a light green, seafoam bluish. Sound familiar? Kind of like our girl Boma, uh, who bumps into a young wild boy in the wild and they become friends and go on a journey looking for MacGuffins. It's basically Dragon Ball. So it's always been funny to me that it caught so much fact for being Dragon Ball Z or being related to Naruto, besides the fact that both Naruto and Geo have like an inner demon thing going on, but Gio feels a lot more like Goku. And by the end of the series kind of feels like a, a little bit like Sasuke fused with Naruto. There's a time skip in it. So his personality kind of ups and flows. But, But speaking of Gio, the only memories Gio is shown to have about his childhood are when he used to be bullied by others because of the bad luck that happened around those who were near him during one of those flashbacks, it is shown that for a short period of time, he had a friend named Jin who protected him from bullies. Later on, later on, he remembered how even that friend turned on him because uh, because of his bad luck. His parents uh, were killed, but he eventually blames Gio for that because of Gio's reputation of bringing bad luck. That triggers Gio in the desire to have no friends. After hearing some guys talking that if they achieved world domination by acquiring Oparts, nobody in the world would make fun of them. This also triggered his dream of becoming uh, the conqueror of the world, which I always thought was really funny. Because, again, when I was reading Naruto, he was all about, believe it, friendship, I'm going to be Hokage. And then here's Gio, who's just like, no, nah, I'm just literally going to rule the world. It's cute. Uh, obviously, it doesn't end up happening. Spoilers. But I always thought it was an interesting motivation for a main character, uh, even if it was very surface level. Um, in the final chapters of the series you discover that he it was the first version of a creature called freedom and was created by two scientists uh of uh organization called eden adam and eve eh? on the nose there's that judeo-christian imagery uh to stop the hungry scientist lucifer from misusing the kabbalah machine shin so that's that is they did we're not beating around the bush with any of the judeo-christian iconography there's characters who are named like seraphim and there's like angel and demon iconography and i've always said that I, I've, I've always thought that um seishi's art was a bit more uh gross than i would say masashi kishimoto's art is it'll be more evident when i talk about the last series that i wanted to talk about in this little episode but yeah that's basically uh Six Sixty satan I, From what I remembered, I would probably rate it at this point in my life like a 7.5 out of 10. It's good. It's really early on, Shonen. I think it ran. I'm going to look this up real quick because I forgot to write down the chapter list on this. Part Hunter. Yeah. I told y'all this is going to be a relaxed episode. I was not joking. You're going to hear typing and stuff. I'll be talking while I'm looking up stuff on the internet, which I usually try not to do when I'm recording things. But (laughs) let's just have some fun. Uh, yeah, it ran for 19 volumes, and that was a total chapter count of... What is that total chapter count of? 76. 76 chapters. In 76 chapters and 19 volumes, Musashi, or Seishi, was able to create a series that was a bit m- better put together than Naruto by by the end. That I think that's something I think Seishi has a strength on. Either it's because the series aren't popular enough or he usually wants to tell a story and he's able to tell it in the time he's given or he chooses, his series don't run and last very long. This one was only 76 chapters. His next chapter, Blazer Drive, I went back and read through a decent amount of it the other day. It's only 34 chapters. I'm already like halfway through it. But yes, Blazer Drive is the next series I want to talk about. Uh, in the near future, human technology has become centered around stickers, or a tattoo-like sticker which can... Uh, which are placed on objects in order to use their power. But Mystickers can do much more than this. A secret only known to people known as Blazers. A secret uh, Blazer named Daichi, a good-humored teenager with the obsession for all things cool, is destined to find out when he is suddenly finds himself targeted by people who tell him he is, too, a Blazer. Dude, I forgot how bad that uh, copy and paste from the website was wrote that was bad anyway long and short of it story takes place in the near future people use stickers for all day everyday items people will slap stickers on a wall if that sticker has electricity on it it will be electric it will be electric type uh sticker you can use it to power your your cars your 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 appliances if appliances if you need a fire you can slap a fire sticker on something it'll light on fire but like the i said People who are known as blazers have the ability to apply those stickers to themselves and then manifest those abilities through their own power. It's especially to them. Um, the mistickers themselves, when placed upon a person or an object, or having the pattern traced by a blazer's fingers, grant them the wearing. Uh, grant the wearer the powers to use them. Like I just said, um, they were created by a fourth-dimensional scientist, Professor Yan. While there is a vast array of different stickers, a large number of them grant some kind of a, uh, elemental power or ability. The most commons being flame, ice, wind, electric, and light. But then they start getting a bit more esoteric and a bit more specific. There's like gravity manipulation, dimensional manipulation. Uh, the main character gets a combination of like an electric attack plus uh, a giant gauntlet that creates like wiring and has claws. It's pretty cool. Uh, blazers are people who are able to activate and control the power of the mysticker. The strength of a blazer comes from the power of their mind and concentration. Once a blazer has mastered mastered their ability, he or she these powers will be at their maximum. The mystickers will be impossible to pull off by anyone besides themselves. If the blazer's mind isn't concentrated, he or she will end up hurting themselves and the stick will easily pull, pull off. There are certain mystickers that do not have any particular effect when used by normal people, but can be activated when a used by a blazer. And those are the more esoteric ones. Like I said, the gravity manipulation one is a character who has a giant sword that can manipulate gravity. Um, there's a few varieties. Another character has like a ice sword. It's pretty standard power system fair. I remember reading it in high school again, only being 34 chapters. I swear it was a lot longer, but I guess that was because I was reading it week to week as it was coming out. And even then, I think it was. It took a while for all of it to come out. It would like have a weird sporadic release, or you know, good old scanlation translators would take time or have to take their time getting it all uh, sussed out. But it's 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 a series I ended up enjoying a bit much. Uh, Daichi is a main character. Uh, The again off of the anime wiki uh, says that Daichi portrays himself as a very cool person, despite having a more leaning towards more of a loser like personality shown when he became to be team sky's leader despite knowing Masora's uh position Masora is another character uh keeps a cell phone that had fallen out of use due to mistickers and other communication devices but Daichi still seems cool he also is somewhat reckless but knows how to deal with difficult situations despite his uh at first glance self-absorbed attitude uh daichi does care a lot about those around him he's your pretty standard uh i'm the best at everything kind of character but people call him out for being a loser but he 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 definitely has a a a good character arc and growth and power you know he starts recognizing when he's being a bit much for his team or starts putting them in danger you know pretty standard again shonen growth but In these two series, I feel like you start to see that Seishi is someone who tries to think outside the box in terms of the world he builds and the approach to his characters. Um, These two series, for sure, fall on the shonen side of things. Very straightforward. Big explosions. Power of friendship. uh, girl Girl sidekick who seems more important, but then falls to the backdrop because the writer doesn't know how to write women. At least... Not until his last series. Actually, I'm going to say he's good at writing women by the end of his last series. last series is going to get gross. Can't wait to talk about it, though. Um, but I'm going to move from the shonen side of things to the darker side of things, where he seems to have fallen on recently. Uh, this next series, uh, Sekidouchi 9, snuck up on me. Because, again, f- my own experience of, with him up until this point had been these you know straightforward shonen series. And then here's Sukadaichi 9... Which didn't last very long either, uh, from what I can see. i going to look this up again. Tsukidouchi 9. If I remember correctly, I'm going to look this up. Sorry for all the dead air, man. But we're going to keep rocking. I don't think it ran very long either. Uh, five volumes, and it ran for 25 chapters. Again, doesn't have the best of luck with his series running for long, but they usually are so much more intriguing when they start out. And um, So the basic premise of Tsukidochi 9 is, as Japan's population grows older and smaller, and the murder, murder rates skyrocket, Japan's, uh, the Japanese government began to implement stricter laws against the worst criminals. With even death penalty lacking the deterring force to stop some of the most violent criminals, Japan brought back a life of a law from the 19th century, the Revenge Law. This law will now allow victims and related parties to apply a government special force agency to capture... Murderers and reenact the exact same methods with which the victims died upon the murderers. Our series follows Yamaguchi Yuji. He's a seventh member of the Special Force Sigiduchi 9. Each member of the Special Force have chosen to enforce the revenge law because they, too, have been victims of past crimes. Um, I only remember being able to read like the first five or six chapters of it because the website I read it on got taken down. Another website I was reading it on got taken down. I might go back and try and finish reading this if I can find it complete everywhere because everywhere I've gone has either like up until 10 chapters or up until like 8 chapters. Drives me crazy. Because when I first started reading this, I found it fascinating. Uh, and when they, they they say that these characters get to take revenge out as the law, it's true. Uh, the first story I remember, if I remember the first chapter correctly, uh, we follow a criminal who's being hunted down by the main character Yuji uh, as he chases him through a simulated city all the while it flashes back and forth between the family member who is having revenge taken for them and the Tsukidoshi member in this case Yuji. They wear these like really cool like prison armor suits with like a camera mounted on the shoulder so it allows the user or the family member who is having revenge taken for them to watch through these VR goggles and so Yuji's chasing this man down, he manages to chase him in the streets, this part of the street is adhesive and sticky, and he kills this man by getting in a car and hitting him with a car because this man killed this older man's, you know, daughter in the same way in a driving, you know, in a drinking and driving accident. So yeah, basically each chapter you got to see these revenge situations played out. Definitely talked a lot about like the morality of what it means to, you know, have the law in your hands you know is revenge worth it in the grand scheme of things if it leads to you feeling less humane or feeling like you're also losing your humanity in order to get that revenge Sugidochi 9 was a fun ride and I-, I might touch back on that later uh I got a few ideas that I'm working on in terms of Patreon content so it might be one of those things that once I actually act- finish reading it I'll talk about it again later but the last one <laughs> the last one <laughs> I started reading earlier this year or late last year. I think it was earlier this year. Uh, And it is a wow. It is a wild ride. I'm not going to sit here and say it's good. I'm not even going to say it's bad. But I'm going to say it's something. The last series Seishi Kishimoto put out as of now. I think he very recently announced a new series. This is the last series he has written and completed. It ran from April 22nd to April 22nd, 2017 to January 22nd, 2019. This is a series called Mad Chimera World. And the basic premises set in a world overrun with chimerical creatures where the female creatures eat the males. Two ex- uh, creatures explore the land together. Usagi, the elder sister, protecting her younger brother Mitsuki, a curious chronicler who is able to read books in their secret hidden place to know what to know that the world once was different. Oh, jeez, whoever wrote these entries is bad. Anyway, mad chimera world. What can I say about mad chimera world? It is it is strange and horny. That's it. It it's not even like a hentai or anything. Actually, you know, it might even be more like I don't know what to call this. <laughs> it has Again, I love I love Seishi Kishimoto's art. It's vaguely very similar to his brother, but I feel like his uh, his uh, influence from Akira leans a bit more on him because Mag Chimera World has some of the most off-the-wall character designs and creature designs I've ever seen. Usage off top um, is your typical uh Kind of well, not even t- I'm not gonna say typical because this is the first time in a, in any of his series that I've seen this level of fan service attached to a character. Usagi is this tall, buxom, uh, white haired red eyed woman who has barely any clothes on her. She fights with like what look like two tassels over her boobs. Not very, not very uh, uh battle ready, but when she fights, it looks cool. She has f- her most of her body parts are prosthetic. And one of her prosthetic arms actually turns into a giant sword. There's a character who is uh, a goat man, who is part—he's part goat, part man monster—who spits up swords. Uh, the main character Mitsuki is a normal kid. Out of every character in the series, is normal. The creature designs, like again said in this, are so uncomfortable to look at ninety percent of the time because this is a mad chimera world. That name does not play games this is a world where humanity and nature have completely fused one chapter is a a, they hang out with a man a a hanging fly a a man who a, a, a creature who is a walking fly who has survived in this world because it knows how to pretend to look like the woman by portraying feminine body parts so it doesn't get eaten by again the wild and powerful female chimeras that are wandering through the world like if to be a man in this series means immediate death everything kills with such violent fury and horniness <laughs> and I suggested it on my uh, Instagram earlier this year too because I, I blew through halfway through it I should almost be done with it here soon but I had to put it down for a second because I was like this is like I don't want to say nauseating. It's like watching a, a slow car wreck, or like I'm not gonna say it's as bad as like watching two girls go one cup because that's like people pooping in a cup. <laughs> but it is that level of what am I looking at? What is this? But I found myself really drawn to it. Um, so yeah, M- Mad Chimera World still. Hits the spot in my brain that I enjoy. It has fantastic artwork. As uncomfortable as it looks, it is to look at. It has crazy battle sequences. Um, yeah, I truly have come to enjoy... Th- this last one. Mad Chimera World. But uh, I guess the point of this episode is to say is that... I feel like Seishi Kishimoto is a dude who... Is continuously... I don't know if he's trying to... I wouldn't ever say he's trying to, like, try and jump on his uh, brother's coattails or try to reach the same level of fame as him. It seems like he gets the opportunity to write some cool stuff, and then he might, you know, get it canceled, or it might just end when it wants to end. But I find his work way more fascinating than his brother's. Because Naruto's great, but if you read Samurai 8, which I just recently finished, it's Okay. But everything I've read from his brother always leaves me wanting more because his series is so long. I remember reading 6668, and though I I enjoyed the ending it got, I wish it had gotten an anime. The fact that it didn't even get like a 12-episode anime really bums me out. I feel like Blazer Drive was a series that was being tested to get an anime because it did get a DS game that was bizarrely released in America, even though the manga wasn't being published in America. And uh, none of the extended content for it was ever released in America. That's a weird thing, too, about Blazer Drive and 666 Satan is as I was trying to do a little research on this, I was looking up videos to see what other people thought, reviews. Every video for 666 Satan and Blazer Drive are either in, like, German or Spanish or some other Latin or Hispanic language it's one of those things that might have been bigger outside of america and it just never got the chance to really flourish and like i said with soko 9 and mad chimera world this two series that seems like he was trying to go for a more mature direction and they didn't stick but what he did get out what he did manage to get out i still wish he was able to put out in some way shape or form or that got published i wish that these would get published in their smaller uh volume set version so I can purchase them here and and show people the weird art from Mad kamara World or like talk about the intriguing uh, moral quandaries that pop up in sugadochi nine. Um I really wish that Seishi Kishimoto did have the same kind of shine as his brother. But he also might kinda be like the Earl sweatshirt of manga and is completely fine being in his own lane, doing his own thing and not being tied to one series. I think there's a certain type of freedom as a creator to not uh have to make the same thing over and over again, or try to capture the same lightning in a bottle when you don't have the same kind of notoriety, but still manage to do pretty cool stuff on your own, so yeah Uh, anyway, like I said, this has been a mostly cool out episode. Just me kind of talking about the random thing that I wanted to talk about this week, which is Seishi Kishimoto. Uh, Hopefully next week I'll be back with the rest of the Jujutsu Kaisen stuff. Uh, We'll be talking about Maki and Toji. And I will actually have a guest I'm really excited to have on here. Her name is Serena N2D. She also uh, has her own podcast, the Serena N2D Anime Podcast. It's on Spotify and Apple. she is also an old otaku so i'm excited to talk to her because i she'll know exactly how i feel and follow her on tiktok as well serena ntd um but yeah that's it tonight for the old head otaku i'll catch y'all suckers around peace